Hello there. You are listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Sundar Viraragavan, Manager of Emerging Products at UES Incorporated. Sundar manages emerging products for UES, a Dayton area science and technology firm, and an R&D 100 award finalist. Sundar focuses on helping to mature and bring to market the cutting-edge technologies that his colleagues develop in material science, surface engineering, power and propulsion, lasers and photonics, as well as bio and nanomaterials. UES provides these R&D services and products to both commercial and defense markets. Sundar is a product commercialization professional who has worked in R&D, marketing and clinical functions for over 15 years in diverse university, medical, consulting, large corporation, and startup environments. Sundar, welcome to the show. Thank you, Catherine, and our audience, welcome to UES. For the audience who may be unfamiliar, what does UES manufacture? So UES is a small business that has roots in the Dayton area for over 45 years. Next year, we'll be celebrating our 45th anniversary. We are a very science and technology-oriented firm, and we provide science and engineering technology services. That means that when our clients have needs for very talented scientists, engineers, technologists in a particular specialty, we go find those people and provide them as contract talent to our clients. But in addition to these, uh, and there are many excellent firms in this area and others that provide these type of services, we differentiate by ourselves by taking many of the products that we've developed to market. And we've done these over our 45 years history. Currently, the sort of three big products that we're focusing on are Robomet 3D, which is a materials characterization system that does analysis in three dimensions for a material science community that's usually used to looking at materials in two dimensions. That's sort of a platform technology. We have derived a very new product from it called Robomet QC that does analysis for thermal barrier coatings that people apply to aerospace substrates to protect them from corrosion and from hot temperatures. So what would be an example of of that? So for example, turbine engines operate well above the comfort range, shall we say, of the metals that these turbine engines are built of. And we apply ceramic coatings over these turbine engines, almost like insulation, to protect the underlying metal from these hot temperatures. So that's a thermal barrier coating. You've got to cut these apart and look at their microstructure to see how well you did with your coating procedure. And Robomet QC automates that entire process. Just takes a sample, runs it through for you, and provides you three beautiful images for you to look at and judge whether your quality control is appropriate or not for that process. And finally, we're also, and this surprises many people because we're a very small business, a tier one supplier to automotive industries. We apply coatings to very hot aluminum die casting parts that protect, uh, these are called coating pins and inserts. They protect these inserts while hot aluminum strikes them, protect them from erosion and corrosion. And that product family is called our Titan Coat family of coatings. So those are our three sort of main products that we manufacture and market today. Since you've been at UAS, how has, has the company uh, adapted its focus? Has, have there been any, any changes? Yeah, I would say we have evolved quite a bit over the last few years. Um, and maybe I can summarize it by primarily saying we're moving towards market-led innovation. UES is a company with over 200 scientists and engineers. That means that we're very active, and we've always been active in many SBIR and STTR projects. We have a very wide network of collaborators, 
kind of pride ourselves on playing well with others. And we have a lot of really cool ideas that come out of these projects that are at a lab scale. What we've been doing over the last four or five years is focusing on converting these lab scale technologies into transition opportunities. How can we take these ideas and make them really good applications that solve problems for our customers? And we're encouraging these collaborations through our network to trial these technologies and see how well we do in comparison to what people use currently. And that means we get to talk to a lot of people and identifying their pain points and seeing, you know, is this a solution that has a place? Because not every cool idea is necessarily a good commercial solution or a defense solution. So we've been trying to say instead of rather just pushing our technologies uphill, let's go to the top of the hill, talk to the customers, see where their issues are, and try to see if and when our technologies will fit into their portfolio of solutions and trying to make that happen. RoboMet QC is an example like that. We had this thing that did 3D sectioning, which was a very much a research product used by universities and government laboratories. And along come the Air Force sustainment depots where they service are all the Air Force planes. And they say, we do a lot of coatings, and we wish there was a better process to automate this because sometimes we wait 24 to 48 hours before we have the results on these coatings for these analyses okay, we can automate this process to where you're getting that same result in two hours, which is a huge time savings from the coding's perspective. And that's a modification of the base technology that RoboMed 3D operates on. So you can take something that you have, modify it to fit your customer's needs who's saying, I'm waiting too long for my results, and we can speed up the process for them. That, to me, looks like more market-led innovation. And that's what we're trying to get more examples of that. We're trying to have more technologies that solve problems like that for our customers so that we can have a better marketplace footing. So the full product development commercialization process and, and you know, adding the, the services to that. So moving, moving. I mean, it looks, it seems as if your company is, is, is going through uh, at a pretty rapid clip, the whole product development yes. commercialization <laughs> process. And I was going to say not just a rapid clip, but a very um, intense learning cycle too. Mm-hmm. Um, once you develop the technology on the lab bench, it almost becomes a different skill set that you apply to take it in front of customers and to modify it in a manner that is suitable to a customer's needs. So yes, we do start with the technology and then go through a full product development process to deliver it to a customer. We just delivered the first RoboMed QC unit earlier this year in August, and now in December we're going to, hoping to deliver the second one to Hill Air Force Base. Hmm. You and I first met when uh, we engaged your company in the Defense Manufacturing Assistance Program that uh, Ohio State manages for the U.S. Department of Defense Office of Economic Adjustment. Uh, are you willing to speak about any of the projects that uh, were conducted under both phases of the program? Absolutely. Th- yeah. We, I'm sorry, did you have more of that question? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Defense Manufacturing Assistance Program was a very timely assistance that we got. Um, The QC project that I was talking about was affected by sequestration. And we got delayed in the contracts for developing and delivering it. And that affected our commercial revenues uh, for those years. So we were looking for opportunities for what we could do better with the base technology, which is RoboMed3D. And that was a product that we had there. And one of the things we identified was that, again, we hadn't gone out and talked to our customers enough. So we turned that idea on its head and say, can we bring our customers in here for a user forum 
and have them tell us what they have been doing with the 20 or so RoboMed 3D units that are out there, share their experiences with us, and then share their ideas with us for what they think the next generation of RoboMed 3D should be. Because every product needs customer ideas for its improvements. And that was a tremendously beneficial event. Not only did it bring our customers together to talk to us, we found that the customers networked among themselves and they gave us an idea that we should establish a user forum where we could almost make it sort of a repository of RoboMet knowledge, so to speak. All the publications, the presentations that have been done with RoboMet, et cetera. And in addition to that, in phase one of the project, we also went out and consulted with industry to see we had a pretty good base of university and government laboratory customers. How could we extend our foothold into industrial customers? And the answer was very interesting because it opened up a new market space for us that we needed to strengthen. Industry wasn't quite ready to just buy a $400,000 to $500,000 unit off the bat. They needed some familiarity with the type of data that RoboMed3D presented. That encouraged us to set up a services business to where the industrial customers that didn't have as much of a volume need for this or needed to learn more about this technology could just send us samples. And we would operate the machine for them. We would generate the data. We would do some analysis and send them back an analysis package. That was kind of turning our business model on its head because it converted what would be a fixed cost for an industrial customer into a variable cost. And it, that has encouraged more repeat business from customers to us. So we see that as a very strong channel that we didn't have before to say, we're going to provide or focus on providing services to industry customers until they get familiar and comfortable with the technology. And to the government laboratories and the universities, we continue along our traditional path. So that was a very good development. We've continued to strengthen our service business. And we got a couple of sales out of some you know, prospective customers that came to that user forum. So we're very happy with the results of that. Oh, that's fantastic. It was a small thing that had sort of like long-reaching impact. What do you see as... Uh, as the role of government in these types of programs? Uh, I, know, I know you have government as client in, we in this government case. have clients, and yes. we think they have a very good role to play. The types of technologies that UES specializes in developing, um, and we pride ourselves on this, are rooted in fundamental good science. And not all aspects of fundamental good science are immediately, you know, turn on a dime, make it the next new iPhone type technology. Some of them take time to mature. Some of them take trial. Some of them take refinement. Uh, and RoboMet 3D to RoboMet QC is a very good example of how we learn that kind of refinement. We very strongly believe that the government that has specific needs, that encourages innovation, that encourages investment in developing the science, um, has two sort of impacts. One, it plays a very strong role in having multiple technologies on the shelf, so to speak, that we can develop and maybe even park there to say against a future need. But two, and more probably importantly to manufacturing people, government through many programs has a very strong role in maturing these technologies and bringing them into probably first government markets and in the future into commercial markets. And I think government has a very strong interest in that in a couple of ways. One, we need a strong manufacturing base in this country that uh, can support and sustain our economy, not just government needs, but commercial needs as well. But second, it also plays a role in making sure that 
today when government buys something, if they can mature that technology and ensure it has a commercial footprint, hey, we just lowered the cost for everybody for that technology when we increased the market base for it. So there are a lot of very good reasons I think government-funded programs play a very strong and desirable role in encouraging manufacturing innovation, not just in the fundamental science sense, but also in maturing it and making it market-ready sense. Based on your experience, and I know you have some, some background in, uh, in medical manufacturing uh, as well as, and, and, and on both sides of the fence, when it, whether it's defense and commercial, I actually want to connect it to um, you know, the, the fact that you, you, you mentioned also that you all are uh, partners with a, a, a number of, of not only government, as we've, you've just spoken about, but you know, university partners. And so how does that, how, what do you see the trends now? Do you see this as, as developing um, you know, products you know, as more of a collective process? Or, uh, and what, what, what do you think is, is happening in, in the landscape right now? Like you said, I've been about four years out of the medical device industry, but I still have very good memories of it and very strong lessons that we learned from it. Um, I think the one thing we learned, and that this kind of goes back a little bit to our previous question, is that the one thing in the medical space is that it's a very strong and well-regulated environment with a clear path to market. And a lot of people in the medical devices industry value that. You know what the playing field is, and you can then choose as a commercial venture to get into it or to not get into it. And that's a huge help, <laughs> rather than having an uncertain regulatory space. <laughs> so in that sense, I think having that strong regulatory framework and a clear path to market was always a good help. But to go back to your specific question about how product development is more of a team sport, that is also a very much a lesson that from medical devices is coming into more and more of other product development arenas. Sometimes it's a full contact team sport, you know, teams have to like storm form and then norm. Um, and that's normal for many teams, but it's a very strong piece of the puzzle that we've learned in many years at UES that we don't have all the answers, that we go to very specific experts, whether they be at government laboratories, they may be private consultants, they may be in academic environments, but if they have the knowledge that helps us solve a particular problem and take a technology forward, we go to them, we listen to them, and hopefully we incorporate their lessons in order to take this uh, technology forward. Just now, for example, with Robomet 3D, um, you, you'd think this is a funny problem for us to have, but we're facing the problem that we're just generating a tremendous amount of data, we're talking terabytes of data, from analyzing large volumes of materials. And material scientists are not always familiar with how to handle this large volume of data. How do you analyze it? What are the computer software protocols and workflows that best help us make sense of this material? So in one way, you have this technology that's kind of outstripped almost our capability to handle the volume of data that it produces. But again, we're going back to our known strength of let's go to the universities that are doing this kind of large volume of data analysis in the biological fields, for example, in the medical fields, and let's try to learn lessons from what they've figured out and apply those to material science. So that becomes a very good paradigm to go back to and draw upon to say, let's go to allied fields. If they've solved these problems, maybe we can take ideas from them and apply them to our field. A good cross-pollination. A very good cross-pollination and always sort of an interdisciplinary exercise. 
during the um, we, we hosted a, a, a DMAP regional meeting and uh, had invited you to come and and, uh, and sit on the company panel, mm-hmm. and uh, we we talked about workforce and and I know you had a a couple of of opinions and of course workforce is top of mind for many manufacturers. Um, you mentioned the the two hundred scientists and engineers that um, that you've you've hired uh, to fit particular profiles requested by the client. And uh, how difficult is that search? Finding somebody with a very specific talent is always a challenge. Um, And again, we go back to this really wide network that UES has that plays a very significant part. When we're looking for talent, it's a nationwide search. Um, And we find that then it's also a nationwide competition for that talent with, you know, the startup in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or the very well-established company in Phoenix, Arizona. And all these places are wonderful places, and then we have to encourage this talent to come to Dayton and work with us and work with the world-class facilities at the Air Force Research Laboratory. That's our top client today. So that is sort of the playing field that we're in, and finding that talent is not always the challenge nowadays just because people are well-networked and people have social media profiles and things like that. They are somewhat easier to find, but convincing them to come to Dayton and apply their talent, that's been a bit of a challenge. We got a little help recently, though. Dayton was just rated in sort of the top 10 towns to live in by Outside Magazine. I did not know that. And they branded it sort of Dayton as a sort of a, the rebirth of the American dream place, just because we have these wonderful outdoor, facil- outdoor facilities that people can play in when they're not working. And so that's become part of our branding campaign to say, come to Dayton, we're a really cool place to work and play in. <laughs> and hopefully that helps a little bit. But it is still a nationwide talent search, and we still have to put our best foot forward to attract that talent to come and work here. Are you also growing your own? I, uh, you had mentioned that you had a, a pretty successful internship program. That is a thing that we very strongly believe in. UES has been involved in STEM outreach efforts in the region and in the state for a really long time. And one of the ways we build upon that is a very strong internship program. If we can get young people hooked on science and technology, hopefully that's something that stays with them no matter what they do in their lives. Um, the AFRL, for example, has this wonderful student internship program called Wright Scholars, where high school and some college-level students come and get to actually work hands-on on scientific projects that the AFRL has an interest in. And so that's a very strong commitment and investment by them to science and to developing the next generation of scientists and engineers. Uh, The other DOD labs also have very strong programs like this. We're partial to the AFRL one because many UES scientists and engineers act as mentors to these young folks to define their work, to guide their work, and to help mature whatever they're doing into something that they present at their end, end of their internship as a successful scientific project. So we're very proud of that. We also engage with science educators that, um, I think it's the local county and the state level, the Ohio Science Educators Board. They come through here, we show them what we do by way of science, and sometimes our scientists go out and talk to them about what it means to be a scientist as a profession or as a career choice. So we try to engage with not just emerging scientists, but also science educators on many levels to try to develop this talent We need that for our future. 
no doubt about that. Are, um, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would like to talk about? Oh, I would, I, I hate to correct you, but you know, when you were introducing UES, you said we were an R&D 100 finalist. Very happy to share with all of us that we did win that R&D 100 award. Oh, all so right. So we are an R&D 100 winner as well as a finalist. Old information. Being a finalist was a good thing. Winning it was even better. That is a good correction to make. And this was a uh, very interesting product. It's a complex thing called a photoconductive semiconductor switch. And best way I can describe is it handles about 75 to 100 kilovolts of electricity, which is a staggering amount in picoseconds, which is about a billionth of a second. So literally, you, you have a switch that's, you know, you turn it on and lightning happens. <laughs> that is definitely a good reason to be a winner. That is a good reason to be a winner, and we're very happy and proud of that win. Senator, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a great pleasure. Catherine, thank you for coming here to UES, and it was a pleasure being on this show.